As you're making way back to your seats, if you'll turn to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. May we be present for the reading of God's word this morning. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. We're in this series for the summer uh, called Jesus Stories, and what we are doing is looking at some pretty familiar passages of Scripture. And this is one uh, for us that's very, very familiar. Uh, you may notice, and this is a whole other message that we don't have time for today, but uh, it, there's, it's in brackets. Uh, John 7, 30, 53 through uh, John, uh, John 8, 11 are in brackets because the early, early manuscripts do not have this story presented. There's a lot of speculation of why they haven't, they've taken it out or it wasn't there. Um, but this is what we know to be true of this story. Um, it may not have been in John's original manuscript, but that doesn't take away from its authority that God has given to us. Uh, they have found, since found this uh, story in other manuscripts, and so we, we believe it to be true. We believe it to be true because you, if you look at the story in and of itself, it's so true with the rest of the stories of Jesus and who Jesus is as a person. If you have any other questions about that, uh, come find me this morning, uh, and I'll give you some more uh, ideas around that. I'll give you some ideas to read. Uh, but for our sake this morning, we believe that this story is true. It's in God's word. It's from God for each of us. And here's what I want you to do as we read uh, this passage again this morning. I, I want you to, uh, while you sit here, to think to yourself, who am I in the story? Because all of us in this room can identify with one of the characters of the story. And let me throw it out there already. No one in here is Jesus, so you can't qualify as him. So if you're thinking, well, I'm Jesus in the story. No, Jesus is Jesus. Let him be Jesus. But I want you to think through yourself as we get into the story, who, who do I most relate to in the story? So let's read it again. I'll read some and teach some, read some and teach some as I did through uh, last week and will continue to do. It says this in verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Highlight that in your passage. Highlight that in your Bible. Write that in your notes. I'm going to circle us back to the very beginning of this text, at the very end of this text, because this place that Jesus says he's at is so important for the rest of the story. So Jesus has gone up to the Mount of Olives, and where does it say that Jesus is at? Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. So here Jesus is again, if you were here with us last week, Jesus, remember last week he was in the temple on the Sabbath, and he heals somebody. That was a huge no-no. Well, what he's about to do in this story is even a bigger no-no than that one. And so Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, He's in the temple, and he's, he's teaching the people that are at the temple, it says. And then it says this. And all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. I wonder what he was taught, teaching the people that day. Because what's about to happen is about to sidetrack what he was teaching. I, I, I'm just curious. I wonder what he was teaching. What Old Testament book he was teaching from what old testament story he was teaching from he didn't have the new testament 
right? He only dealt with the Old Testament. So he's teaching them from the Old Testament. And then it says this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So think about that for a moment. Here Jesus is in the middle of church. Get the picture. And it would be like in this moment, two of our deacons, because that's who the Pharisees were. They were, they were. they were the religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were this. The scribes were the people that held the law. They were the lawyers of the day. So they knew the law. And they were the ones that were going to protect the law and enforce the law. And then the Pharisees were a group of men. Some were scribes, but all Pharisees were a group of people that, that held to the law. And so they were these religious people within society that had a lot of clout. Like they, they mattered in the temple. They were big deals in the temple. And so all of a sudden, Jesus is in the temple preaching the word of God, and all of a sudden the scribes and the Pharisees, they drag this naked lady all the way to the altar, all the way to the feet of Jesus. Remember what it says. She was caught in the very act. I don't think she had time to put clothes on. Think about the shame that woman felt being dragged out of that room, being dragged through the city, being dragged through the gates of the temple, being dragged through the door of the temple, being dragged all the way down the altar, all the way down to the altar of the temple to be placed at Jesus' feet. Now, all of a sudden, questions ought to be going off in our brains. This was a setup from the word go. Think about that. What you do in the secret places, adultery is not done in public places most of the time. And so the, the scribes and the Pharisees had been plotting and plotting and plotting. So who was really on trial? The woman is not who's on trial. The Pharisees and the scribes are placing Jesus on trial. And they use this woman as a means to an end. This woman was not a woman to them. She was an object for their glorification and for their, uh, th th their renown to the people. So it wasn't the woman that's on trial in this moment. It's Jesus that the scribes and the Pharisees are putting on display. Jesus, and we'll see. Jesus, what, what, what will you do with this? And so the men bring this woman that's been caught in adultery. Well, here's the other thing we know about adultery. Adultery isn't a, a solo action. Running is. Swimming is, biking is, but adultery takes two people. So what did they just bring the woman to Jesus for? Where was the guy? And so I asked you the question to begin the sermon. Who are you in the story? Are you the Pharisees that, that judge everyone? Are you the woman that's been caught? Are you the man that has ran? You see, the man ran away. The man got away with it that day. The man didn't come before Jesus to be judged. The man left that room and was set free that day, though 
we know he was never set free. So who are you in the story this morning? Are you the Pharisees that judge? Are you the woman that's been caught? Are you the man that still runs? So they bring this woman to Jesus. And they place this woman at Jesus' feet. And they say to Jesus, they caught her in the very act. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. This is verse 4, now verse 5. Now the law of Moses says this. If you've been caught in the act, you condemn us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this, verse 6, to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. And so here's the test. They're testing three things that day in Jesus. The first were they, they were testing, hey, Jesus, are you really a rabbi? Are you really a teacher of the law? Are you really going to uphold the law? Because you are a man of the law. That's what a rabbi was. Jesus was a rabbi. And so Jesus knew the law. And Jesus would have known if you're caught in adultery, you were to be stoned. There's three capital offenses in the Old Testament. Adultery is one of them. Think about that just for a moment in our society. Like, adultery back in the Old Testament was a one-time offense. Like, you committed adultery, you died, and there was no more adultery that you were going to commit because you were dead. It was very, very serious. And I think, how far have we come in our society? I'm not just talking about adultery. I'm talking about sin as a whole. We don't take sin as serious as God's word takes sin. And so they trap and they say, okay, Jesus, the law says for us to stone this woman and to kill this woman. What do you say, Jesus? That was the first trap. You see, the second trap was this. If he stones the woman, he says, go ahead and stone the lady, then they, he breaks the Roman tradition. You see, they were, in, they were under Rome, Rome's control. And the Roman society, the Roman judicial system says, hey, only Romans can kill somebody. So if Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and kill her, then they scurry back to the Romans and say, hey, this man, Jesus, is breaking your law. If he doesn't, then they scurry back to the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says, what is this man doing? And the third way that they go to attack Jesus is through his compassion. Because up until this story, and you see throughout the Gospels, the compassionate heart of Jesus. So if he stones her, then they go and attack his compassion. So Jesus is in a no-win situation. And they knew this. They had trapped Jesus. But look what happens. Jesus is amazing. It's an amazing thing that Jesus does in this moment. This woman had been caught in adultery. She's laying at the feet of Jesus, naked and, and ashamed and just ter- terrorized. She knew, she knew she was about to be stoned to death. That's what was going through her mind. She's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He doesn't address the woman. 
He doesn't address the scribes. He doesn't address the Pharisees. He doesn't address the audience. All Jesus does is stoop down and begins to write something in the sand. And I wonder what he wrote that day. I wonder what Jesus wrote in the sand that day. There's so much speculation. The truth is we don't know what he wrote. Some say he wrote Jeremiah 17 verse 13 that says those who bring condemnation on someone he will write in the sand is what the verse says other people believe and i tend to believe this that jesus begins to write each of the scribes names in the sand and under each name the sin they've committed one by one Can you imagine what's happening to each of the ongoers? They look at what Jesus is writing in the sand. And then Jesus stands up after writing something in the sand. One one theologian says it this way. uh, If you've ever did this on the playground, remember writing uh, plays as a uh, backyard quarterback in the sand? That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is writing out his play in the sand so everyone can see the play. He stands up. And now he first addresses the scribes and the Pharisees. And they continue to ask him. And he stood up and said to them, just just think about the, the anger, the hatred that these scribes and Pharisees are saying. They're not doing it in a gentle, kind way. They're, 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 they're attacking Jesus. What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus, calm as possible, he's right, and he just stands up in the midst. Remember, he's still in the temple. He's still in the middle of church, and he stands up. And I love that he doesn't attack them back. You notice that in the passage. He didn't attack them as he's being attacked. He simply says this to them. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And what he does here is so amazing. What Jesus does here is he holds to the Mosaic law. He he doesn't go against the Roman law. He doesn't even go to defend his compassion. He says to them, yes, the Mosaic law is true. She is to be stoned. She is guilty. You see, he says in verses 1 through 8, she is guilty, she is guilty, she is guilty. Like he doesn't say, he doesn't justify her actions. He doesn't try to change what she's done. He doesn't try to defend what she's done. He says in that moment, you who are with the first, without sin, cast the first stone. She is guilty. Who are we in the story? All the things that Jesus could have said that day. But what he says is so profound. Yep, she's guilty. We missed that in the text. But that's what he's saying. He's saying to the scribes and the Pharisees and the audience, everyone that's looking at Jesus and looking at the woman, yes, she is guilty as charged. I wonder what happened in the heart of that woman in that moment. 
Like, did she cringe a little bit more, waiting for that first stone to be pummeled at her? Like, when someone says, hey, you with no sin, throw the first stone. Well, here's these men that had just drug her into the court, basically, into the temple, wanting to stone her. She had to think she's going to be stoned. And then again, in verse 8, and once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Again, who knows if he continued to write out each of their sins. Hey, Rabbi Bill, think of Susie. Rabbi Steve, think of stealing. Rabbi such and such, think of your murderous heart. Writing in the sand. But what's next is such a picture of grace. But when they had heard it, when the Pharisees and the scribes had heard those words, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. When they heard this, you see what they heard in that moment goes all the way back to the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law said if you're going to kill somebody, you, you must not be guilty of what you're killing somebody for. Because if you are guilty for what you're killing someone for and it's found out you're guilty for what you've killed her for, you will be killed. And so it says one by one, the oldest to the youngest, they went away, which in that moment they testified about their own guilt to what Jesus had just confronted them with. You see, the ones that came to condemn that day left condemned. The ones that came to shame that day left shamed that day. The ones who came to judge that day left judged that day. They went away one by one. It's obvious the woman didn't take notice of the men leaving one by one that day. And I wonder what the crowd was doing as each of the Pharisees and the scribes left one by one. It doesn't say that the crowd left. I bet the crowd was still wondering, man, what is this man about to do? What's about to happen? What's next? But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You, you know why it says the older ones first? This is true in my life. The older I get, the more I recognize my sin. Young, young people are just oblivious to their sin. But the older we get, do we not get more aware of our sin? And so the older ones are like, man. And the older we get, the more we have against us. We just kind of stockpile the sin. So these older men went one by one. And then the younger men did a full examination of their heart, and they left as well. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So here's the picture. All the scribes and all the Pharisees leave. And there's this half-naked, if not fully 
naked lady that had just been caught in adultery standing there with Jesus who had not left. Remember what he just said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus is the only one that could be standing still. He was without sin. So he could cast the first stone. He had all the right to say, I am not guilty of anything that you've done, and I can throw the first stone at you. I can condemn you. I can kill you. And then Jesus stood up with her. Verse 10. Here's the great grace that we get from Jesus. He stood up with her and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? That that word woman in the text is such a gentle, kind, compassionate word. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2. Remember that when Jesus was at the, the, the feast, uh, the great banquet, and all the, the wine had run out, and Jesus' mom comes to him. What does he call Jesus? What does Jesus call his own mother in the passage? Woman. So it's this kind, endearing term that Jesus uses was this condemned, guilty woman. The same exact words he used for his own mom just a few chapters before. The compassion, the grace of our Lord Jesus to this woman. He had just declared her guilty as charged. He just looked at the scribes and looked at her and said, she's guilty. And then he says, has anyone condemned you? And look at verse 11. She said, no one. But look what she says. Look at the words she uses. Lord. You see, Christ declaring her guilty and then Christ giving her grace. It didn't open her heart to her understanding who's really standing before him. He, he, she could have said, sir. She could have used Lord and, and not the capital sense, but the lower sense. But she says the words Lord, meaning I understand who you are. She got who Jesus was in the temple because of his conviction of her and his great grace of her. You see, we have to know Jesus as both Lord and Savior. You see, the Lord part says that I am condemned. See, that's what Lord means. The Lord means he's sovereign over all things. It's his kingdom, and we dwell in his kingdom. He's Lord over all of it. You see, there's this false theology that says all we need to do is know Jesus as Savior. No, we must know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this woman in that moment as she's sitting naked before Jesus, there's convergence that happens in her heart. That's the only way she's able to say Lord to him. Lord, no one, no one has condemned me. And listen to these words. And then Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Think about that for a moment. The one that could condemn says, I don't condemn. Jesus had every right to condemn her. She was guilty. 
She was guilty as charged. She was guilty as she was brought into the temple. Jesus knew that about her. And yet in his great grace to her says, nor do I condemn you. But then Jesus calls her to something. You see, when God forgives us and doesn't condemn us, he calls us to action. And what does he say to the action? And nor do I condemn you. Go, leave this place, and from now on, sin no more. You see, when we receive the grace of Jesus Christ and we receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we can't just receive it and go on living however we wanted to live because we realize that God's going to continue to forgive us. We must go and sin no more. You see, the great grace and compassion and conviction of the Lord Jesus changes something in our hearts. And this little woman left with great gratitude that day. She came in condemned. She came in guilty and left with great gratitude. And I wonder for us, again, who are we in the story? Are you the Pharisee? That all you're doing is plotting. You're scheming ways to bring condemnation onto people, to bring conviction onto people, to judge people, to show people how you're better than them. That, that's the whole realm of the Pharisees. Is that you this morning? Or are you the woman that's been caught? And if you've been caught, then you, if you've come to the Lord Jesus, there's no condemnation for you, Paul tells us. But do we live like the woman who's received the forgiveness and go and live a different life? Or are we still the man who got away with it that day? You see, that man got away with it. There's no shame brought on him, no condemnation brought on him. But see, the, the side to that is all that is true, but what is also true, that he did not receive the forgiveness from the Lord Jesus either that day. Is that you this morning? You see, here's what happens in this passage. Verse 11. You see, those words, as he spoke to that woman, nor do I condemn you, go from here on and sin no more. You see, that sentence is what brought condemnation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Him setting someone free is what ultimately, a few chapters later, is, is what brought him the condemnation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, that statement right there is what nailed Christ to the cross. You see him believing that to be true in Jesus saying, this is the way that you won't be condemned, that I must go and live a sinless life and be crucified for you. That condemnation must be brought on to, to me. That's why he could say to her, I don't condemn you because that condemnation that was about to be placed on you in a few months will be placed on me. This is what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That moment when he's with that woman naked at his feet, he knows in a few months that all that condemnation, all that sin, all that guilt is about to be laid on him. And that's why he could say to her that day, 
nor do I condemn you. Because that condemnation is about to rest on me. And I just wonder, church, do we live our lives that way, really understanding that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Or do you still live your life, if you're in Christ Jesus, and you still live your life as if you feel like you're still condemned? That is not of God. In that passage in Corinthians, it says this, that once that, that he who became no sin for us, he now wraps us in his righteousness. And I just wonder, church, how often we still live with condemnation. You have been forgiven and you have been set free. Here's the other thing that people say so often. I just can't forgive myself. Anyone feel that way this morning? I just can't forgive myself. Well, that's one of the most prideful statements that any human being could ever make if you for, could forgive yourself you wouldn't need christ jesus you cannot forgive yourself satan is going to always attack you with thinking you can forgive yourself you cannot forgive yourself you must receive the lord jesus's forgiveness so that you don't live in condemnation it's through you thinking you can forgive yourself that you live with condemnation and that's why he said to that woman, I don't condemn you. Don't condemn yourself. Go and sin more, no more. Go and live in freedom that I give to you. You, you see, if you're the woman today, there is freedom that's offered for you. You don't have to continue to be caught in adultery. Whatever your adulterous sin is, you can be set free of that because there's no condemnation. There's only grace and forgiveness with the understanding that, yes, you are guilty as charged. Here's the other thing. If you're the man that got away that day, the promise is this. Your day is coming. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. What we do in the secret places will eventually broadcast it from the mountains. We never get away with it. You, you may get away with it for a season. You may get away with it here on earth your entire life. But there is a day that you'll have to stand before, before a holy judge and say, man, guilty as charged. I did those things. My hope is you don't get to that place. That you're like the woman that's been caught in adultery. That you get caught. My other hope and prayer is if you're the Pharisee, today that the lord jesus would bring great great conviction on your heart and that you would see people are not a means to an end people are not a, a way for your advantage people are given to us by the lord jesus to show love and compassion and grace and peace and mercy they're not tools My great fear for us here at Palace Chapel is, yeah, we probably have a few in our midst that are the woman. We probably have a few in our midst that are like the man that got away with it. But my great fear is the majority of us in the room 
are the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, we wouldn't say it quite like that. But our judgmental hearts show how we live. And the same is true for us that are the Pharisees, that Jesus would say, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. And and if you're the woman, God doesn't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And if you're the man today, come to this altar and, and, and confess that sin and leave that God doesn't condemn you. You see, I, I told you I'd get back to those first few words of the passage. Where does it say that Jesus was at? The Mount of Olives. You know where Jesus ascended from back to his father? The Mount of Olives. You know where it tells us in the Old Testament where Jesus is going to return to? The Mount of Olives. You see all the major places where it brings our freedom from condemnation happen at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, being at the Mount of Olives that day, knew all the things that were about to take place on that mountain for us. And he's saying to us again this morning, nor do I condemn you. My hope and prayer through this study has been this, that you would leave here today set free. You see, the truth is this, again and again and again, you are one and I am one of the three characters in this story. I'm either the Pharisees, I'm either the woman or I'm the man. But the truth to all three of those stories can end this same exact way. You are forgiven and you've been set free because Christ does not condemn you. Let us pray. This morning, before I pray, Jared plays in the background. I'd ask you to do a moral inventory of your heart. Where are you this morning? And who are you this morning? You see, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are the woman that's been caught in adultery. You have sinned before a holy God and you are guilty of guilty of guilty. That's what sin is. Sin is not meeting up to God's standard which is holiness and righteousness and we cannot do that. He says to us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you don't know Christ Jesus as both your Lord and Savior this morning, I I would implore you in this moment to cry out to a holy God and 
confess and say, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. And that through your confession, there'd be great grace that'd be shown on to you. God came to seek and save that which was lost. I would say this to you this morning, if you're like the woman that was caught that day, and you are a believer, you would look back in your week, this week, your months, the last few years of your life, and say, man, I, I have not been living the life that God has called me to. There's forgiveness of that through our Lord Jesus. Here's the claim that he makes to that lady. Nor do I condemn you. You're free. Now go and sin no more. Go and live a life of righteousness and holiness and pursuit of God. Live in dependence of him you are forgiven this morning. And I pray that if you're the Pharisee or the scribe this morning, that God would open your eyes to see people for people. That God would convict you of your agenda. And you'd repent of that. And you'd ask Him to have a heart for people. And then lastly, if you're the man that quote unquote got away with it that day or quote unquote or getting away with it today, that through the Holy Spirit, He'd quicken your heart and He'd bring conviction and you'd come to a place of confession and repentance so there would be no condemnation for you either. But God's word is true that all of us in the building will give an account. All of us will stand before a holy judge. Our only defense will be one of two things. I'm covered in the blood of Christ or I'm not. Jesus, I'm grateful for this truth, this story of your great love and compassion for this woman. This woman that was drugged before you to really test you, and yet in your great mercy and your great compassion, God, you offered her something that day she did not know was about to come to her. She came that day with a great deal of shame and guilt and fear and loneliness and hurt. And yet she left that day, God, forgiven and set free and whole and new. I pray that would be true for us in this place today. 
You are a good God. I'm grateful for all that you're doing. Use this message in my life and the lives of the hearers to let us know we are not condemned. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.